You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. The scripture reading this morning is taken from the Apostle Peter's second letter, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves a swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. It actually helps to read a text like that from somebody like Bill. I mean, let's be honest, right? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, please work. We have been talking and asking this of you all week. Even now, Lord, I know and I, I actually actually believe that there are some amongst us that hold to a broken doctrine. Rescue us from that, please, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that by the end of our time together today, we would sing joyfully that you, who began a good work in us, are faithful to complete that work. Help us to believe it. Help us to see it. And help us to sing of it and testify about it. So teach us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
In the first chapter of the Apostle Peter's final letter, the Holy Spirit was reminding us of several things. We looked at those over the last several weeks. We were, just a few of those things are, we were reminded that if we think that we are or if we want to be in heaven with Christ, we must be a follower of Christ. And also, we must have faith in Christ. Those two go together. We're also reminded that to follow him means that our faith will be growing, not diminishing. If we have a diminishing faith, that means we don't really have a faith in Christ. If we have diminishing faith, that most likely means we're not following Christ, we're following something else or someone else. We were reminded that the growing faith that we have will be a naturally developing and growing faith when we follow the teachings of Christ and the revealed word of Christ. When we begin to wonder, maybe look for something shinier or better, we're gonna find that our faith in the true God and the revealed truth will start to wane because for some reason something shinier is grabbing a hold of us. And so what Peter did at the end of chapter one was he presented his case to the hearers or the readers of, of this letter that there are, there are some things that we need to be watchful for for those who are bringing and preaching the truth of God's word. And for Peter's case, he was saying that there are two testimonies. He, he had his personal testimony. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were, Peter saying, we were the apostles. We witnessed something Unique, majestic, holy. And then there's the other testimony brought in is the testimony of God's word. That they witnessed Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies, not deconstructing it, not undoing it, not dismantling it, but fulfilling it. So the testimony of the apostles as witnesses and the testimony of God's word. And so we come to chapter two now. And he begins to reveal some very important things to us here too. Peter referring back to both of those testimony, he now comes into some blunt language. This is one of those chapters that perhaps has someone like me in my position preparing you saying, okay, for the next couple of weeks, it's still toed boots time if we don't like our toes to be stepped on or to have the response that I had on Monday where I shouted out to David when looking and reading over chapter two. So David, you got this chapter, right? <laughs> he didn't hear me, he had things in his ears, but. But the reality was this week when I was reading and reading and reading, I usually try to read through one specific text at least 20 times or so before I began to think of an outline. And by the time I was my seventh time in, I just broke with deep sadness over what this is saying. True doctrine is being torn apart by false teachers with a broken doctrine. We notice the broken doctrine, or we notice that broken doctrine comes from False teachers. There's a troubling reality that we see in this text that we know is real in our day. 
One of those troubling realities is that false teachers do exist. They pose a real threat to God's plans. Another troubling reality is humanity from the very first century, really from its very beginning, is prone to move away from the authority of God's word and instead drink in something that sounds a bit more appealing in the moment. The good news that we see in this word and we know throughout history and throughout the rest of the word of God is that though it is a reality, this is not a new reality. It's been going on for a long time. And though false teachers do pose a threat to God's plans, God is sovereign and he is committed to his plan and to his word. And there is nothing, 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 no one, no one, no one, at no time, in no time, in no time, I'm repeating those each three times, that can ever disrupt or, let me rephrase that, that can ever undo God's divine plan to do what he wants to do. His word will go forth, his word will be preached, just in Peter's day as it is today. I am convinced of this good news. Then we see also here in this text, and we know it throughout church history, we know it throughout the Bible, that because God is committed to his plan, regardless of what false teachers are rising up and broken doctrines are being celebrated, God is committed to rescue those who are faithful. This is good news for us. We see all this in this text. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna try, depending on time, we're gonna try to look at a few things. We're gonna notice a few things about these false teachers. We're gonna learn and be reminded about some things about God of what he plans to do and how he plans to act. And then we're gonna <clears throat> end our time just evaluating how do we feel about what Peter's inspired to write here. First of all, let's look at verse one. We see as we go to discover some things about false teachers, we see that false teachers may be outsiders, but they also are likely to be insiders who are bringing heresies in. Verse one, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Outsiders and insiders will be bringing this broken doctrine, this, these heresies in. This could be anyone who might be an unsettled insider. It could be jealous outsiders. It could be insiders rising in influence, as verse 1 says this year, false prophets arose among you. What we know is that false prophets exist, whether they're coming from the outside, sneaking their way in, or whether they're already here and they're listening to something outside and they're rising up from within. Tim Challies wrote this, the heretic is the most prominent and perhaps the most dangerous of all the false teachers. The heretic is the person who teaches what is blatantly 
what blatantly contradicts an essential teaching of the Christian faith. He continues, he is a gregarious figure, a natural leader, teaching just enough truth to mask his deadly error. Yet, in denying the faith and celebrating what is false, he leads his followers from the safety of orthodoxy to the peril of heresy. He continues, from the church's earliest days, the church has been afflicted by the heretic in his various forms. He continues his evil work today, sometimes by contradicting the truth and sometimes by adding to it. And so what Peter suggests here is that people, these heretics, can come from the outside, as we've talked about in this book, but also in Paul's, some of Paul's letters. But it is likely that they're even rising up from within. This is one reason why we do believe in the significance and the importance of covenant membership and the important and difficult work of church discipline because when a false teacher is coming from within, a covenant membership, we can address that as a broken doctrine. We can lovingly and rightly address that person as a member that we are responsible for and say, this is broken here. We ask you to repent from this. We ask you to, to come and submit under the authority of what we're believing in this teaching. And we can even say, there's another gathering that's teaching exactly what you're teaching. And we don't want that for you. We don't want that for these people. When they are covenant members, we can address them. If they're not a covenant member, we can come to the congregation and address the broken doctrine and say, stay away from this person. They're not part of the membership. And for the good and the health of the bride of Christ and for the good and the health of our congregation and for the good and the health of the sheep, we want to lead you to greener pastures and stiller waters. What we know and what we see, what Peter's saying is it could be rising up even within us. So, but for now, verse one reminds us to be watchful, to be careful even of ourselves. How many times when, or maybe you did it just now when you were hearing Bill read this, you were thinking about the televangelists on TV or you were thinking about this person that wrote that book or this person from the 1500s or, or maybe who even Peter is talking about referring to that time. But how many of you really thought, I think I heard this in my small group this week. You're like, don't want to answer that, do you? Um, like it, it's hard for us to really think that even amongst us, it's easy for this to rise up, a broken doctrine. We know also, we see here that at first, these false teachers work secretly. They're cleverly devising things. Heresies and false doctrines usually work themselves in with sneaky tactics. And usually, this must be done with what Peter has referred to as cleverly devised myths. Or as he put it in verse one here, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. It could be secret. A few, so what I want us to do is I want us to look at just a few of those clever schemes of false teachers that we need to be watchful for. Just because we see some of these things in somebody doesn't mean 
In fact, we're going to get to that a little later, that we're supposed to act and, and, and bring them before the middle of the circle. And, and, but here are some things that we need to be watchful for on the inside and on the outside, some schemes of false teachers. First of all, charm. Charm, niceness. All we have to do is look at the very first sin, the serpent approaches Eve as a subtle liar. Then Adam is approached by Eve in her beauty with subtle half-truths. If the serpent were rude, attacking, spewing with aggressive venom, it would have been easy for Eve to say, get behind me. I don't want that. No, that's ugh, that's ugly. That's horrible. If Eve took it and threw it at her husband, I mean, what are you doing? You're losing your mind. Like, no, it is charm that the enemy uses. Satan sends charmers to us. Full of niceness, sweet writings that make us feel good. And he does it if for no other reason, just to charm us away from the revealed truth. Come read this. This is a little better. Did, did God really say that? Picture the serpent saying that. Did he really say this? It's sort of a, hey, I'm here to help you. I'm here to, to bring in something happier for you now so you can get away from that rule or those laws that are established usually charming us to something that looks better, maybe looks a little sweeter for the moment. This is how donuts work for me. I mean, seriously, if Shipley's just made a commitment to only serve cold donuts, I would never eat a dozen donuts. But I will drive from Southeast Salado to Central Belton and the whole time, I have one question when I pull up to the window. And that one answer will usually decide how badly I dive into the donuts. You know what the question is? Do you have any hot glaze? If you serve me cold glaze, I can reject that. Ah, I feel those calories. But you charm me with those that I can see in the window that are just coming out. And when that guy says, give me one minute, I'm like, oh, I'm charmed in. I'll eat. I'll swallow. I'll drink this in. This is what the charmer does. This is what the enemy does. He tries to woo us and charm us into or away from the word that has been revealed to us. Another scheme of the false teacher is that of half-truths. Usually, the schemer of the false teacher provides some truth, but not the full truth. False teachers will use false methods and words so long as it helps them and their message become likable and receivable. We'll get to that in a minute. But they'll use false words. They'll use a broken statement. They'll use embellishments. They'll use hyperbole. They'll use fear. They'll use cleverly devised myths. Have you considered this? 
Eve, it won't really be that bad. He does, Eve, you're, he doesn't want you to know all the things. Yeah, there, there's things Eve's about to find out that she didn't know before. So there's a half truth when the serpent came and charmed her away. And immediately her eyes were opened. He didn't tell her how bad it was going to be. From a preacher that I used to follow, that I've received from, that has now fallen away from the role of pastor, he used an illustration one time, half a poison pill. Well, one part of the pill is gonna help you run faster, stronger, think quicker, be on your game, and yes, it's good. Yes, don't you want all that? Yeah, I want, who wouldn't want all that? Well, you gotta take it, but the other half of it's poison. If you came at me and said, here's a whole poison pill, Oh, no thanks. Well, okay, here's some of what this pill will do. It'll help you do this, 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 this. Would you really, in your own, if you knew that half of it was really poison, would you take it day after day after day after day? No. So what they do is they, they used to have these pills. I don't know if they still do, but they kind of would color half of them. And every time I hear this illustration, I think, the enemy wants to disguise the half of the lie and promote the half that is true. This is part of the scheme of the devil. Charm, half truths, half the poison pill. Another scheme is the false prophet, the false teacher will rewrite or re rework the story. Rewrite or rework the plot. Nowadays we call it deconstructing the doctrine of the gospel. And they're clever with it. Because it's hard to believe, because it's hard to really grab hold of, let's undo this in some, let's, let's rework the puzzle. You buy a puzzle and the puzzle only works one way. Well, what the false prophet, false teacher will do, will take the puzzle, they'll try to force it in their way and if it doesn't work, they're gonna do what I used to do with the Rubik's Cube. Well, let's take these stickers off. It's much easier this way. Isn't this better? Ah, look, I get to, I knew down deep side there's something not as fulfilling doing it the way I did it. So what the false teacher will do is they'll deny Christ. They don't say they're denying Christ. That they, don't, they, they keep that part like a half truth and a half lie. But they'll deny that his work was enough. If you deny that the Old Testament is the word of God that Christ came to fulfill, then you deny that the cross was that important. If you deny that the Old Testament is true and you call it allegory and it's just made up stuff from people, then you deny the wrath of God poured out onto the Son and the necessity of it. When you deny the work of Christ, you're denying the power of the joy of salvation. If they don't deny the work of Christ, they deny the worth of Christ. He's not fully God. He's a good teacher. He's a real good, in fact, there's no other teacher like him. But son of God, part of the Trinity. So half truth, good teacher, half lie, he's not fully God. 
they don't deny his work or his worth, then they'll deny his words. Again, half truth, half lie here. The false teacher wants to charm us with the things that Christ said that were good, but they don't want to reveal to us that it was Christ that says that there will be a separation of the sheep and the goats. Let's devalue his work or let's devalue his worth. Let's devalue his words. Let's deconstruct this. Let's rework the puzzle. These puzzle pieces aren't fitting in, so let's cut this edge off so it'll fit in better. Let's lead them away from the resources of truth. Let's get them to doubt what God really said. Let's get them to question the promises of God. And how do they do this? They say, here's an idea. Let's get them to simply read this instead. How do they steer us away from the power and the truth of his work, his worth, and his words? They say, well, let's get them to read these other words, these new words that feel good. One of the commentators of 2 Peter, a guy named David Helm, in his introduction to his commentary on 2 Peter's, wrote this in his introduction. It's long, but I want you to hear me. And in a minute, there's gonna be a picture on the screen that describes this. He writes, in October of 1855, at a time when society's views on the nature of biblical authority and human freedom were evolving and subject to change, Vincent van Gogh, the wildly talented yet tortured artist, completed an oil on canvas and titled it, Still Life with Bible. Looking at it, one observes a table, and upon the table, an open Bible. To the right of God's word is a candle, burned out, standing in its holder. In the foreground, the artist has painted a small yellow book. The print on the binding is still legible. It is Emile Zola's The Joy of Life. So as you can see it here, you can see what he's saying, that there's the Bible, used to be primary, the candle was lighting, and now there's this bright, shiny yellow. The yellow is, is there for an example to sort of pop as, look how attractive this is. Helm goes on, by placing the burned out candle beside the Bible and by putting both in the background, Van Gogh was telling us that the time for walking through the world by the illumination of the Holy Spirit who shines down upon God's word is past. Biblical authority no longer holds sway. People are guided by different, if not lesser, lights. That is what he is saying. Even the flaming color of yellow is now reserved for the cover of another book. Humanity's new pursuit is now governed by another resource. He goes on and he closes with this. Interestingly, that which Van Gogh painted in oils in 1855, Peter had already pictured and commented on centuries ago. Like us, the aging apostle lived in a day when the light of God's word seemed to be in danger of being snuffed out and extinguished altogether. People were following another path, carried along by a candle of a different sort. Do I feel the need, this is a question we should ask, do I feel the need 
to ever snuff out the candle of God's word and indulge more into different words, newer words. Why am I doing this? What am I needing that this book offers that the Bible doesn't offer? Is it something that is hard and difficult to apply to my life? So, oh, this person is adding these words and I'm gonna do this instead because I understand this book. Is it because it's easier? Perhaps it feels a little sweeter at times. This is one of the schemes of the enemy, the false teachers Peel back from the big book. Snuff out the candle. That's no longer needed. Look how little, look how bright, look how applied. You could take this with you anywhere. It's so neat and cuddly. And there's this version and this version. And next year there's going to be this extra version. And it's all new. It's all just for you to just keep smiling and growing. Another scheme of a false teacher is that they strive for mass appeal. Look with me in verse 2. Going back up to verse one, it says, they rose among, false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves self-destruction. Verse two, and many will follow their sensuality. There is a strive for mass appeal in the false teacher. They have followers. They want to gain more followers. They embrace a type of sensuality or at best excuse sensuality. They'll take you in. Oh, it's okay to be dirty here, corrupt here, uh, compromising your sensuality and sexuality here. Just come on in because we love you. They embrace sensuality. They are smooth and they are appealing to the ears currently one of the trends today in our culture and it's been it's happened in every christian culture in time but currently it is popular to bash just as it's popular to bash the institution of the united states and pile onto that or pile onto this institution or pile onto that institution there's one institution that is pure and holy and right and that's the church guess what it is popular to bash the church today the broken doctrines, the false teachers, they don't mind bashing the truth and stirring up dissension within the church. They'll use some personal story of some stain or some this, some half-truth, some stirring work. Read this instead of this. Read this part, but not this part. But they're gaining a mass of people. They're growing in popularity why? Because it's easy to do. Instead of pinpointing this person's sins or that church's errors, let's just say the church. Another scheme of the false teacher is that they're actively greedy. You're like, oh, okay, now we're getting away from me and I'm, I'm, I'm picturing those people that are on the TV, right? Actively greedy. Verse three, it says, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. A false teacher will often use people to meet their own needs versus leading people to real life building hope and joy. They're greedy. They'll exploit you just to get from you. 
They'll exploit where you're hurting so that you can get on board their bandwagon. Let me tap into this wound, this scar. Let me, let me get you there and then bring you in and follow me. Well, where are we going? Well, we're not going to the truth. We're going to this place. They want to gain from you. And so you only see their best side. Just like the snake, the serpent in the garden. I just want to show you this part of the truth. I want to show you this. Why? Because I want you, not because I need you, because I just want you to follow my way instead of his way. One example of this is writers, popular writers. Um, they can maneuver and twist their reviews online. Write a book that can manipulate what is seen and what is positive and what is promoted. In fact, some even lie in the reviews. Why? They want you to buy their stuff. They want you to popularize them. Another scheme of you're like, Jason, you're bringing me down here. We need to be aware of these things. Another scheme of the false teachers, they despise authority. Look with me over in verse 10. These are the last words that Bill read. It says, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and what? Despise authority. These are teachers or leaders who are traitors working to overthrow the greatest sovereign of all time. And how does someone begin to overthrow a sovereign or some leader? Peter reminds the reader throughout this text, throughout the rest of this chapter, that these false, broken doctrines, these sweet, nice, charming people aren't submitting to authority. They're getting us to question authority. Let's question God. Let's throw our, our skepticism at, at the leader. It can't be good. You come to this church, you go to that church, and you hear preachers like me preach from texts like this. It is right for you to go, ah, let me make sure, let me make sure they're leading me to the truth. But the false teacher, what he's gonna do is lead you away from the truth. So you can feel good when you leave here. <laughs> And leads you away from God, which won't complete your joy. And as we said earlier, here's the thing. They will welcome all skeptics except those who are skeptical of them. But God's not done. That's not all that is said in this text. There's a lot here. We see God's response to all of this real quickly. We're going to go through this quickly, but because we're going to get to somewhere else. But in these 10 verses, we see what God sees. We see that he's going to act on this. In verse 1, we learn that they will reap what they sow, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, and what does it say just a few words later that they're bringing upon themselves? Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Verse three, we see that they are condemned. 
And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Verse four, we see that the pursuit of confusion and chaos will chain them to gloomy darkness as he's referring to the fallen angels here. He said that he committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness. And the point is, is if he didn't even spare the angels of that, he's not gonna spare the false teachers of that. Verse nine, we see that they will be punished. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So although they might despise authority, they will not be able to avoid God's authoritative judgment. Ultimately, false teaching, though it affects us, it isn't about us. False teaching is a distortion of God and God sees it. Peter says here, that's not all that God sees. He not only sees the broken doctrine and the false teaching, he also sees those running against it. And if there was a point in the sermon where like, man, I hope he brings us to some good news quick, here it is. Look at the examples real briefly that Peter gives of God's responses to others. First of all, we can see from verse four when he's talking about how the angels, when they sinned, he cast them to hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. What we see about that is God cares about protecting what is holy. So he will cast out and remove that which is unholy so that those in his presence can be surrounded in the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. He is committed to your eternal joy. Verse five, we see that he cares to preserve the righteous. When he brings up and gives Noah as the example, the herald of righteousness, how he preserved them. While destroying the ungodly, he protected the godly. He cares about godly pursuits. Check this out. When referring to Lot, it says, and if he rescued righteous Lot, many of your opinions of Lot just changed right there. Greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Think about this. This is a man who was given the option to go here or here. He chose here and was surrounded. You know some of the stories. You know the failings about Lot. You know his weaknesses and his shortcomings. But right here, we see this is a man fighting against the culture that he's rescued. by the. He's, he's greatly distressed by the sensual conduct. He's not lapping it up. He's not drinking it in. It is putting pressure on his family. If you know the story, it's putting pressure on him wearing them out. Do you ever feel that way? We should. By the sensuality around us, by everything that's croaching in on us, do you ever feel like, gosh, God, are you hearing? Are you knowing what I'm involved with students that are going to school, that are seeing everything on the media? Do you just get tired of everything pushing in you and crowding in on you? God sees you. He's holding you and Let's finish, it says, for as the righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul. But God rescued him. This is the God who sees us. He cares, we see in verse nine, that we endure 
Trials, verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Yes, we could look at this and say, they are damned, they are damned, they are damned, they are doomed, they are doomed, or are doomed. And we can also say, let's recognize what is doom and let's recognize the good, wonderful hand of God to preserve and to rescue. What I see here is he is the remedy for the broken. A rescuer for those who want to be rescued. A rescuer from those who want to hold to the truth. A rescuer as a righteous judge who will bring decisive judgment when it's time. But the Lord sees where you are. And if you're one of those promoting the half-truths, drinking in the charms of others, I encourage you, there's time Turn away. Repent. Push the yellow little books away. Light the candle again. Get in the word of God and do it with your church. We're with you. Today, make that decision. For those of you who feel like Lot, who feel like Noah, you feel all alone, watch for his rescue. He loves you. He wants you. So as we close, we have much to celebrate. The gospel is this, that we all sin. We all have been broken. We all need saving. And he cares about you. So like Noah, like Lot, God did provide a remedy for you and your sins. He did provide somebody to pay for the judgment of the things that you did, and his name is Jesus. He went to the cross. That's good news. And he rose again to secure what he promised he would secure forever and ever. So join us as a church as we follow him. We rest in him. We don't become weary with his revealed word that is given to us for our good. And we say to one another as we sing this next song about what Christ did and what he secured, we say to one another, he's got me. He's got us. Let's fight the good fight of faith. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We need you. I pray again, Lord, that you would protect me from ever again listening to any charmer, for drinking in any half-truths. Protect me again, O Lord, from ever giving in to the desire to take from people, to build up a massive amount of people with smooth words. Protect me and the elders and anyone else that's ever gonna pastor or be an elder of this church, that we would never let the candle go out that we would fight the good fight of faith. I pray that you would keep us and hold us. I pray that every person in this room or watching on the live feed would believe that you began a good work in them. You're faithful. That they're here now to be warned and to come back. Light the fire, O oh Lord, in their soul again.
Give them a love for the truth again. Help us, Lord, not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways. Not just acknowledge you, but run to you, celebrate you, testify about you.